Welcome to Buzz British Book Club. I'm Kit. I'm Bridge. Today we're going to get Buzz and talk about books. Welcome back to Buzz British Book Club. We are continuing our discussion for the book Kindred by Octavia Butler. Uh, if you joined us last week, we ended the discussion talking about her third trip through, mm-hmm. where Kevin comes with her and Rufus rapes Alice and Isaac is sold south. And uh, I think that's about where we left it. And, and then she gets whipped. Got she, my pen. Tom, uh, Rufus's dad, realizes that she has stolen a book from his library. And so he beats her for that. And yeah. Kevin can't get back to her in time. So she is transported back to the 70s, whereas Kevin is stuck in the 1820s or whatever. Yep. And she's there for eight days before she is transported back. And I feel like you and I are fairly in sync with our wine consumption. Um, yeah, we, we are. <laughs> we, we started off with... Um, Approximately 15 ounces in these giant (laughs) wine glasses that he has. We are still drinking Nighthawk. What was it called? I think it was called Nighthawk Black. Let me look. Yeah, it's a box wine. And it's a box wine. I don't know what it means, but it says it's in a Bota box. B-O-T-A box. Um, Which maybe just has to do with the size. I don't know. Anyway, we're, I'm enjoying it. I am immensely enjoying it. Um, I, I don't know if it's because of the subject matter, but I feel more depressed than buzzed at this point. Yeah, I do as well. Although um, my face feels warm. Like, you know, definitely got a buzz going. I, yeah, I mean, I've got a little something. <laughs> she just waggled her head I'm a not, little something. something i'm not sure if it's quite a buzz it's not like the champagne buzz of the other day right. that oh, was like gosh. amazing but i will say that my eyesight is like a little <laughs> are you <laughs> seeing two of me i'm not seeing two of you but like if i look at you a certain way i might see like one and a half the world cannot handle one and a half of me <laughs> One is plenty. One bridge is enough. (laughs) No, can't have two bridges. So the other day we recorded Red, White and Royal Blue, which we'll be releasing that in February. But we had to do it via Zoom because I think our schedules and then maybe you weren't feeling well. I was sick or something. Yeah. Yeah. So what we had to do then, of course, had to, quote unquote, was get our own, each our own bottle of the wine of yeah. our choice, which ended up being Prosecco. Which ended up being a really bad idea because I drank the entire bottle, <laughs> except the little bit that I spilled <laughs> at the end. That was dangerous. Um, but I had a really great buzz yeah. from that one. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you like go and put the, the roller coaster together after that? Yes, I did. <laughs> so we got the children. Um, like a step to roller coaster. Um, there's like a little kitty toddler one that we had a couple years ago that they outgrew. So we got like the advanced one, and it's like a nine foot roller coaster slide thingy, and it's like up like four feet when they start off, and it's legit. Like I wish it was. Like, she wanted to I try thought, it herself. I thought about it, but I was like, no, I don't want to break it. <laughs> 
But, drunk, um, a drunk mother activity. Yes. I ride but my kids for I totally <laughs> helped my husband put that together after that episode, and I was pretty drunk, but it's holding together well. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it turned out well. Some things, and I, this is going to sound terrible, but some things are easier when you're drunk. You're and not wrong. One of them, I didn't realize constructing a roller coaster was one of them. That <laughs> seems counterintuitive. But one of them is certainly speaking in accents and speaking other languages. Ooh. I don't know if you've ever tried that. And probably people are thinking, maybe you think you sound great, but you right. probably sound terrible. No, that's not true in my experience. So can you speak Ukrainian right now? Uh, well, it's been years since I've spoken Ukrainian, but definitely my fluency was a lot better in any language I've tried to speak because um, you're not so worried, you know, you're not so self-critical and it comes out more easily and maybe you make mistakes, but you would have made mistakes right. sober anyway. You're mm. able to um, string words together much more easily. In my experience, that's interesting. Yeah. I have to think about that yeah. because um, I tend to, I tend to overthink a lot of things, and I'm so like Spanish is my go-to, yeah. you know, foreign language if I'm going to speak one, um, which I do very poorly. I'm not trying to say that I can speak it fluently at all, um, but like it, my thing is like I have to think about yeah. it, and like. It takes so long to think about what I'm going to say. And then if someone says something back to me, like I usually understand it right away. Sure. But thinking of the response back takes so long. Yeah. That by the time I formulate it in my head and then like get ready to say it, like they've already moved on or they're just looking at me like I'm an idiot or whatever. And it's like, okay. So I can't imagine what that will be like drunk. Or at least tipsy. <laughs> well, it's tipsy because my brain doesn't work at all when I'm drunk. Yeah. I don't think, anyway. No, like, I mean, clearly it does. Although I definitely can't, like, analyse individual thoughts the way I can when I'm, like, thinking of something to say back in Spanish. I think that if you tend to be hyper-analytical, which I tend to be that way, about myself, um, sometimes being tipsy takes that out, and so you're able to express yourself more easily just blurt things out like or just you know it's less of a struggle to find the right word yeah maybe so maybe so i might try that one time not today though honestly <laughs> i mean having lived in ukraine i had ample opportunity to practice that because at every dinner they have they do shots of vodka That's legit. and they start the occasion with a shot of vodka for everyone to give thanks for the occasion. So that's the first one. Second one is, is that what they do instead of like praying or whatever the American thing is? You mean like grace? <laughs> You're sure? Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But that's what it's called. I just it's know throwing back a shot of vodka. That's every so every fun. meal, I guess not every meal, dinner is punctuated at various intervals by shots and each shot has a specific meaning i don't remember all of them but i remember first is for the occasion second is for friendship third is for love and for the loved one all the men in the room have to stand up oh really and it's not uncommon to go through a dinner and have had eight shots of vodka 
gosh. And they are not small shots. So this is like everyday dinner. This isn't just like a dinner party. It might be more of a dinner party. I don't okay. think like the average family is going to go home and throw down eight shots. Well, that, uh, yeah, that was what was it? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a bit excessive. That's what no, I was asking. No. Like, damn. They might, they might have a bit. You know, it's unusual to have a dinner without something. Yeah. But there's more of a you know an occasion a celebratory occasion gotcha so is the vodka what was it better than united states um at this point i i've been a couple years isn't it prefer ukrainian vodka which they call harilka harilka interesting so is it is it harilka or is it vodka well they say it's harilka but it's for for americans it's vodka okay so if you're going to go to the store and get harilka it would be labeled as vodka Vodka, yeah okay which I swear that stuff could take paint off walls, you know? Like, it was so strong. So now, uh, regular vodka, like, um, I don't know, Tito's or... So, like, drinking water. It, not drinking water, but, like, yeah, absolute or something like that. It just feels so tame by comparison. Interesting. But anyway... That's not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> not at all. Not my connections to alcoholism. I, it's it's <laughs> it's really nice that we started on a high note though, because I feel like we're about to go all I the way down. I feel like we needed a little bit of levity, which maybe we'll start off this episode with, with like a uh, question in this, like focus on the sci-fi elements of this book rather than necessarily the hefty themes of this book just to have some enjoyment in it rather than feeling associated pain through the experience of reading this book but like if you were in a time travel scenario okay and you knew it was coming and say it was like similar of like you know it's 2023 god it's 2023 gosh Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah. Woof. Um, it's 2023, and we are traveling back to, I don't know, do you want to say the early 1900s? I have no idea. I mean, that, that was roughly, what, because it was 1815 and 1970, so that was, like, roughly, what, 160 years? Am I getting that math right? 100 years would be 1923. So 18... 20 years before that would be 1903 and 40 years before that would be 1863. Yeah. Ew. Deep in the Civil War. Oh, no. I wouldn't want to go back to that at all. That would be horrible. She went from West Coast to East Coast. Maybe we could go East Coast to West Coast. (laughs) I don't know. But just say, whatever the scenario, it's to a shitty time... That would be the one. You have to pack accordingly. Jeez. What would you take with you? Oh, my God. Uh, Okay, well, I would definitely take a handgun. Fucking... I mean, she took a knife. She She took a knife. She needed a weapon. I would definitely take a semi-automatic handgun or something with with a nice clip. Um, Fuck. What else would I take? You know... know, Oh, I'll wait to say mine. (laughs) I was thinking about I mean, it on the drive over and I had some thoughts. I feel like I would probably take some mace, some candy. 
some candy. I love the order of this. A semi-automatic weapon, some mace and some candy. You never know if you need a little pick-me-up, okay? What kind of candy are you taking back to 18? Oh, I don't know, like maybe something shareable like M&M's. Like maybe I could bribe someone with M&M's. I love that you're thinking about just sharing. <laughs> you never know when you need to bribe someone. Like, squat. Like this is my M&Ms. chocolate, damn it. Um, I think I would take, um, this is a bit morbid, but I think I would take birth control because you never know what the hell is going to happen mm. Um, and I think I would take, I want to say clean panties, but you know. I mean, I did so, think to myself, like, like a tampons. So, oh shit. She never mentioned The menstrual that. cup. Yes. Yeah. That's the, the only cup option. Coming. Yes. Because the tampons, you've run out. You yeah and and uh, you know Octavia Butler didn't mention this at all. She didn't at all. But that's an interesting thought. I mean, unless she wasn't menstruating, menstruating, you know, she needed something. Yeah. So definitely the menstrual. That's a good catch, right? I mean, I feel like like no one writes a. Very few people write about the realities of that as a day to day in a woman's life or someone that has that menstruates in their life. You have to prepare for that, you, you have, have to do something, to. you're not gonna free bleed all over yourself. No, and she was there for eight months, right? The last time, so she had you to know, maybe given the stress of it, she just didn't have a period. I mean, that's possible, that is possible. That is possible. That's what happened to G.I. Jane, you know? In that, Did it? In that movie. I she, don't remember that. She didn't have a period. Not not a good correlation. But what, what would you take? Aside from the diva cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I take my dog with me? Oh, I wish. But I don't think it will fit in a bag. Well, if I hold him. Sure. Because you could take Eric with you. Or your, or I your could. Children. I don't think I would want to take any no. of them. No, no, no. I think I would Dana there. I wouldn't want to take any of my family members. I'd be too afraid that they'd get stuck there or they would die. I would rather go myself. Yeah. And just die myself if that if need be. Yeah. I don't. I would not want anyone else to come. I think I'd want to take my dog. I don't even think I'd want to take Petey. I think really? Petey would immediately get killed. You think so? Yeah, he would be trying to protect me, and someone would shoot him. Definitely. I think, I mean, Diggy would definitely protect me. She, she would, if anybody got too close to me, she would. But, but I don't, I mean, animal rights or whatever, zero during that time period. And I think that, that someone would just shoot a dog. I guess no, it depends no repercussions. on where you are. If I kept her close to me, you know, anyway, I'd take Diggy with me because without me, what would happen to her? That's true. Whereas you have your family to take yeah. care of. Her. Well, my dad, he would come over and probably take it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I take, <laughs> I take you with me. I'd probably take a compass or something. You know. I wouldn't know how to use a compass. I mean, it's <laughs> basic. You, you. An atlas would be good though, like the little ones you get at the gas station, the fold-up ones. Mm-hmm. That would be legit. Some type of wayfinding tool sure. is what I would like. Um. A cigarette lighter to light a fire. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, survival basics for sure. I definitely want some kind of weapon to protect myself. 
I'd be tempted to take a gun, but you're always going to run out of bullets, and I don't think anything out of that time frame would would fit a modern day gun. So you could always take like a machete. True. I've got I've got a couple of those around my house, so. <laughs> <laughs> Machete might be a little big though, don't you? No, I've got mm, holding up my hands. That's a bit big for a bag. I have, they clip right onto my belt. It's fine. You just walk around like a fucking sword. Yeah. <laughs> like, come <laughs> at me, bro. <laughs> you know, like, I've got probably not a bad idea. I mean, pirates were around in those days. I sure. could go be a pirate. I'd yeah. Um. Yeah, I'd take my dog, take a compass or something or a map. I'd take a lighter some way to start a fire, a machete. She did always bring pens with her, which yeah. I thought was kind of funny. Um, as a writer, she was even trying to, to take, like, write a journal to, like, you know, keep track of her time when she was transported back. So I'd probably do that too. And... You can't take money because modern day money wouldn't work. Right. Um, so I definitely take medication. Yeah, definitely. some leave or something, some antibiotics. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, if you could get your hands on some penicillin or something. Um, is it weird to say sunglasses? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> She mentioned once that she wished she had a watch. Yeah. So watch might be. I don't know. I could give a fuck what time it was. And <laughs> yeah, but um, I'm. You could go on and make a list forever, but they they'd have wine and things like that. Yeah. But I'd probably bring some little snack, like maybe some protein bars, because you yeah. imagine you're going to be walking quite a lot. Right. So you need some sustenance. Mm-hmm. And every all the electronic stuff would die, so there's no sense in bringing that. Maybe a water bottle and some yeah. um, iodine. I was just thinking that water bottle, some iodine to purify the water. Yeah, because she does make a comment at some point she was nervous to eat any of the food because it wasn't as clean or as safe as modern day food. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a red herring foreshadow and it didn't pay off did it never did she no. never got sick a single time and i thought that yeah. was a bit unrealistic yeah because if you think about her immune system in 2020 whatever the fuck it was 1976 yeah um going back in time like i imagine her immune system would probably be shit yeah she should have but maybe sick. not though because she had i assume a lot of vaccines yeah so you know, so maybe a lot of things she was vaccinated against like that, that she probably problems. got i don't know polio i don't i don't think she would have gotten anything from malaria because they don't typically give you anything for malaria these days unless you're going somewhere that has high rates of malaria contraction so that's true but we might be wandering into dangerous territory here but sickle cell anemia is a trait passed along in African-Americans predominantly, um, which is, I guess, an evolutionary safeguard against malaria. Mm. Um, So maybe that was the case. It wasn't mentioned in the book. Malaria 
does come into play with the story. It's not actually malaria. It's some other mosquito-carrying disease. I can't remember what it was called. She called it ague, but that's not what it was. But then later on, it was like dengue fever, wasn't it? That that Rufus contracted. Because yeah, I looked it she up. She called it ague, but then it changed because the doctor pres- like diagnosed it. Oh, did it? Okay, it didn't end up being malaria. She thought it might be malaria. But yeah, but this, it wasn't. This is what I because I looked it up before because I was like, "What is dengue fever? Like I've never even heard about it." So it's a mosquito-borne viral disease occurring in tropical and subtropical tropical areas. Those who become infected with the virus a second time are significantly greater than that. That has no relevance. So <laughs> it's very rare these days. Fewer than twenty thousand cases in the US per year. Um, symptoms are high fever, rash, muscle and joint pain. In severe cases, there is serious bleeding and shock, which can be life-threatening. Ooh. So, where were we in the story? She had just come back without Kevin. Without, well, Kevin was still trapped there. Right. Um, or was he? Yeah, he was. Because she was caught. No, he was still trapped there when she came back and Isaac raped Alice. That was the time mm. she came back and he was trapped. And then this time he had gone up north and she didn't know where he was. Right? That was the other time. This is the time where I think she got him. He came and got her. And they went back together because I forget what triggered... Oh, Rufus was being a little shit that he was and pointed <laughs> his gun at her. Because he was oh. like, you're not going and you're not leaving me, Dana. You're that not leaving when, me, Dana. That was when Kevin came back from the north. Kevin came back from the north. So so here's some stuff that I had a problem with a little bit. Well, There's some before we stuff. go there, she's been at, at the estate for a while, the plantation for a while. And Rufus says he's going to mail her letter. Yes. So he says, yes, last Kevin known- is... Ke- address yes for kevin. kevin yep yep and then yep. she lies or he lies and never mails it she sends two letters and he's like oh just give it time whatever like he'll get them blah 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 and then alice whom she has convinced to go willingly into his bed um because otherwise if she doesn't convince alice to go willingly into his bed he's going to rape her anyway and it's going to be horrible for her and he threatens this. He's like, well, it's going to happen whether you help me or not. Um, and so she goes and tells Alice those are her options. She does so say Alice to her, does it. she says to Alice, like, I can't tell you what to do with your body. But there's, right. there is no choice. It's These like, are your options. You either can run. rape or go somewhat willingly. Right. Which even saying that out loud feels disgusting. It is so disgusting. Um, impossible choice a horrible choice absolutely just it's it's not a choice let's be real it's not it's not a choice at all um and so anyways alice looks in his personal belongings one day um and finds the letters that dana has written to kevin that, that Rufus, Rufus has sent. not mailed, and he promised her he would mail them, and he's, he's told a her liar. That he's, and at that point, I wrote in my notes. <laughs> uh oh. 
I hope Rufus burns in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that in my notes. I hope he burns in hell. Um, so anyway, it was going to happen because the whole time you're like, Rufus isn't trustworthy. I He's was, a manipulative you know, little bastard. And to some degree, Dana wants to trust him and she has no choice. She because... doesn't have a choice, but he also, like, she presents it to him in such a way that it's like, look, I'm the reason why you're alive. Mm -hmm. If something happens to you, I can just choose to help you. Yeah. You die. So she tries to exercise her control and power over him, but he does it right back. He does it right back, and it's this constant butting of heads with them. And But there's, like, this quote-unquote understanding that they're going to be truthful to one another they're going to be honest with one another and rufus breaches all that, that shit he breaches that so many times but this is really the first time that it's blatant and um anyway so alice shows her the letters that he never mailed and then she runs she's like okay fuck this this isn't happening for me anymore i cannot trust rufus anymore and so she runs and of course she gets caught. Of course she gets caught, and she gets caught by Rufus and Tom. Like, the very people she expected to kind of... And that... Like, well, at least Rufus, she kind of sort of hoped that he would, like, let her go. Because he's shown, quote-unquote, kindness to other runaways before. Yeah, not well, not treat her like an enslaved person, because technically she's not. She's but not in the reality of this world that she's stuck in. She is right and because of her race, and they treat her like she is. And he thinks that he can treat her however he wants to. There's this harrowing scene. God, the tension Octavia Butler builds in this scene is amazing because I can feel it. Like the the terror comes through so well in her writing of like she's you know walking through the forest or down a road or something. She sees these two men coming on horseback and she goes to hide. And you're thinking, let them just pass. Right. Let them just go. Let her get away. Let her go find Kevin. Let them get back to the 1970s and right. let her be safe and, you know, try to move on from this. And of course, that doesn't happen because, you know, that wouldn't be. An She's got to lose her arm somehow. <laughs> right. Come back to the the main the first line but anyway so she's hiding in this stand of like bushes or trees or something and she reacts as you know you've seen in movies so many times where the tension is at its highest peak where she, a twig breaks yes and she gives herself away well rufus, she wasn't expecting it to be rufus right and rufus hears her like yeah. the fucking dog that he is and runs his horse straight into the bushes yep. to either trample her or scare her out and like flush her out like right. she's like she's an animal right and whereas we all know rufus is the real animal in this case but and so she she has to run out just because right. she has no other choice other than to get run over by the horse yeah and then he finds her and basically like in that moment like whoops like he was hunting yep. her a deer or something and catches it and she, you know kills it or something it's so despicable it's so terrible yeah i think in that moment i had lost all hope for rufus hope for rufus because even up until that point and this is horrible for me to even say because he raped alice but 
somewhere in the back of my mind, I kept thinking that maybe he would be come redeemed. to his senses, not be redeemed, but come to his senses and, and be repentant, you know, and regret being such a horrible person and, and realize that, you know what, like I owe so much to Dana, to Alice, to everyone that I, I've been such a horrible person. And I need to stop being this way. And I need to use my power to do something good. Yeah. Like in my head, I was like, it, surely he could still get to that point. You know, it's yeah. not redeemable, but he could be repentant and, and regret himself. And like, try to do better or something yeah. but at this point in the story this was the end for me rufus had lost all hope yeah i mean he was truly like an agent of true evil if he wasn't already true this evil is, this is the moment where he shows his true colors he's a product of his environment he is a psychopath because that's who his dad raised him to be. And he, at some point, chose to behave this way. And so now, like we've alluded to before, there's no option but what Rufus wants. And if you go against Rufus, you're going to be hurt to within yeah. an inch of your life or you're going to be raped and all of your power and control and agency is stripped away. Yeah. So um, he takes her back and he's been extremely gentle with her on the horse. Because she's like probably cracked a rib because she fell, she picked up this club to use, and but then it. she fell on it when she tried to scramble away from the horse mm -hmm. and it like, you know, crushed one of her ribs or mm -hmm. something like that. So she's in this immense pain. And I think he probably just punched her in the face or something. I can't exactly I remember think so. what happened. But anyway, she's in a lot of pain. So he's very gentle with her on the ride back to the plantation. But then. He ties her up in the barn, or he gets the overseer to tie her up in the barn, and then obviously she is whipped with the whip um, to the almost to the point of death. And it's like this moment where, and then and so like, oh, it's just so disgusting because he's like, well, Dana, like you brought this on yourself, like you know, I was being good to you. It's such a gaslighting like technique of abusers across time it is so horrible and what's even more horrible well maybe not even more horrible but what's just like on par with the horrificness of it is that dana feels some responsibility for this boy and for his behavior and for his future and she mentions multiple times in the book how she keeps forgiving him because he'll do something horrible out of rage or something like that um, to her or to someone else and then he'll turn around and he'll do something kind mm -hmm. and it'll like make it all okay not okay but like it'll make her it'll manipulate her into forgiving him yeah, it's the cycle so, like, of abusers everywhere. It is the cycle of abusers everywhere. And it was so for her to keep forgiving him and like making excuses for him and like being responsible for him and like being nice to him or whatever. And it's just, ugh. It I just don't know really if she had any choice. Me. She didn't have any choice necessarily because she had to make sure of her own existence. 
Yeah, but like she had so, no power. But I like I contrast her a little bit with Alice. Alice hated Rufus. She never forgave him. No, she was never okay with him. It didn't matter if he beat her, if he was sweet to her. But you can see unquote. how Alice ended. Which yes, yeah, yeah. But like at the same time, like Alice recognized him for what he was, and she never made excuses for him. Do you think? Whereas it's, um, Dana made excuses like for him. Perhaps people of modern day times, like you're saying, sort of being slightly naive. I think it's more of just the manipulation, psychological abuse that Rufus... Maybe because she saw him as this child that she first met and he had a charm to him as a child when she first saved him, yeah. you know, from when he fell out of the tree and when he was drowning, like... I think there was... Because he's part of her, whether she likes it or not. But, like, Rufus had this idea in, like, spades where, like, you're responsible for how I treat you. And it's such an abusive tactic. Tactic. Like, oh, well, I'll treat you good so long as you do this. But as soon as you do that, well, then you make me be mean to you or you make me be horrible to you or whatever. And it's it's just over and over and over, Rufus does this to her. Like, he, there's multiple scenarios where she does something that he doesn't like and in turn like he sends her to the field where she's whipped by someone else because she's not going this year yeah because she's not moving fast enough and that's a punishment i forget what that's a punishment for but that's a punishment for something that he didn't like her doing like maybe she defied her or something um and but then she like he does something nicer like he'll go and rescue her and bring her back when she was about to die or something and then he'll have a nurse back to health and then somehow like she like forgives him for that because you know he was being kind to her or whatever and this is just like this toxic cycle and she like finds herself like stuck in that like you know like this weird dynamic it, she's, it's she's so manipulative conditioned to behave in a way where she can safely navigate this power structure that Rufus has created. Yes, yeah, but she's also kind of starting to buy into it a little bit. Well, who not who, only who could avoid that in that scenario? I agree. If you're literally being beaten, being abused, being potentially threat of rape, you know, and like were overworked to the point of exhaustion and death and, and all of that, like Definitely. Who would have the power to stand up to that over Absolutely months not. of I'm years of abuse? I agree. I'm definitely not saying she had much of a choice. She definitely did not. I guess I'm just... Um, I think wearing her down was a natural progression and is what Rufus wanted and it yeah. feels realistic. Oh, definitely. Like, like if you were transported feels... back then... Very realistic. You'd go in, you know, full of vim and vigor, whatever, about your ideals for modern day society and the wrongs of the past, seminal among them in this case, slavery. And then you'd be faced with the fact that you're never going to get a good night's sleep. You're never going to feel safe. You're never going to be adequately fed or have 
um, adequate nutrition. You're never going to be able to safely love who you want to love without fear that they're going to be sold down the river or your children even or taken from you, which eventually happens to Alice. Yeah. Um, there's no certainty in your life. You have no prerogative or agency outside of, you know, choosing to live every day, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, I mean, I think it's mad props to Octavia Butler, honestly, that she was able to portray something like that. What really broke my heart about this book was the stark difference between, you know, women today in the abusive relationships like that, where they can't do anything wrong, and if they do, it's their fault. If they get punched in the face, it's because they're, you know, they did something to make their husbands mad. And I think society has supported that up until recently. Like, oh, well, what, what did you make your husband mad about? Well, what did you do to, to piss him off? Yeah. Or why did you do that? Or why did you do this? Or whatever. And I think that that's been a societal norm for so long um, that until recently, now it's just like, no, fuck that. Like, that was him. The scales are starting to the skew. Scales the scales are slowly starting to skew in the, the other direction. And I think Octavia Butler captured that really well in a story about that dynamic and how fucked up it is, which I'm really glad that she did that. Um, but I think what's horrific and what sets it apart from modern problematic relationships is that the women in the story didn't have the option to run. Nowadays, you know, a, a woman could get away I don't know if this is going to start feeling overly heavy. Um, it is overly heavy. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think Octavia Butler paints the picture of women's struggles that a lot of women, race aside, can identify well with. Yeah. Being in a situation they have no control over and very hopeless about changing at all um especially being with someone that has no intention of being a better person at all but yeah. there's always that hope that maybe they could be but every single time they just shut that shit down do you okay it... i know i wasn't gonna overshare but <laughs> here we go so in the course of obtaining an order of protection which is you know just like a restraining order you have to go to court to file that and i did that and the judge looked to me square in the eye which in this courtroom is like an assembly line of people just going through you know it's like fast food you know yeah. judicial system and he just looks looks at me and he goes he's not going to change don't take him back and then he signs the order of protection and then i'm out the door like that was the wisdom he imparted to me. So I find it is interesting because she does capture this so well. Yeah. In the course of my research, usually you read something about their personal lives. And in my research, I hadn't seen that she was ever married or had a relationship that people were cognizant of during her life. You're talking about Octavia Butler. Yeah. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. So I, 
I so much of this work was pulled from her real life experience. Yeah. I find it very interesting that she wrote about this relationship, this marriage with Kevin in such a real way. And obviously this relationship with Rufus in such a real horrific way. There must have been something. She there. had to know. Somebody who has this grasp of the psychological mind fuckery that happens <laughs> between an abuser and his victim. For someone to put that in the book in the way that she did had to have personal experience with it. There's, There's no, way. no way she didn't. Just like with uh, Eric Remark. Like, there's no way he could have written there's those no way. war scenes and scenarios without having experienced it himself. I 100% agree. And this made it so hard for me to read this. You know, Bridges shared her experience, but my first marriage was a very psychologically abusive in this way. But again, like, I just want to emphasize the big difference between these women and our experience was that we were able to get out. We had avenues to get away. We, we had, had legal systems had that supported us. Legal systems that trusted our word. We and had entities like we had money, whatever. And I had a, a job and a boss who is one of my mentors to this day, who has gone on to become a CEO of a, a company. And she gave me every avenue that I needed to take care of what I needed to, to the point where, and I'm not exaggerating, she put me in a car, took me to my house, and packed up my shit and got me out of there while we were, you know, during working hours. So, Damn, like, awesome boss. yeah, I'm starting to get choked up thinking about it, but um, so to the point where. We, like you're saying, we had the ability to extricate ourselves. And in this book, it really kind of brings it back to that too, how helpless these women were. And it leads to Alice taking her own life. We wanted to pause our broadcast briefly um, just to reiterate that if you are experiencing abuse in your relationship or if you are seeking resources to help extricate yourself from an abusive relationship um bridge and i wanted to draw your attention to some resources that are available to you that are free and um, can help you do that so if you go to thehotline.org it's a great resource and has a bunch of different ways to reach out to get guidance, research for information, and it even helps you make a plan to remove yourself from the situation. So if you want to call, it's 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 7233. There's also a text option. Uh, it says text START to 8878. Eight. And you can also chat through the website, thehotline.org. Um, so if you need those resources, please leverage them, get help, um, get some information to start the process of making yourself feel safer in your relationships. Mm -hmm. Now back to our 
programming. So I can't remember exactly, but at some point Dana goes back to the 1970s and then she returns to find out that Alice has hung herself. So Rufus hits her. Oh, that's he right. He crosses that line. And so he, he lies to her and he hits her. Punches her in the face. And then she goes back to the 1970s. She slits her wrists mm. to go back home. That's right. She gets a, a, she goes a bowl upstairs. of hot water. She, she goes sterilizes the her knife. She slits her wrists. She wakes up with Kevin. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, I mean, it's 100% intentional. The fact that the only way she can escape this is essentially by taking her life yeah is brutal and um symbolic of so many things so many things like you will not be the same person you have to end that existence to move on to the next one and kevin has you know bandages her up and I can't remember he got his doctor friend to help her that's right he had a friend come to the house and this is the point in which that watch card. <laughs> this is the point in which the talk of the asylum comes up. Yeah, where his doctor friend is saying she needs help, basically take her to at what that time was like an insane asylum. Yeah, which I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of those, but they were not places where no. anyone could be sent. Whether or not you were they forcibly well. lobotomized people. I mean, they would do um, electroshock therapy. Electroshock therapy. They throw cold water on you. Put you in a straitjacket. Yeah. All those things. Put like, you in a little pillowcase room. Nobody knew, and we're still learning, you know, how to treat mental health. But at that time, it was especially horrific. So I could only imagine what would have happened if Kevin had decided. Right to an asylum. God. So I I can't remember what happens next. How she gets pulled back? It's because Rufus was going to kill himself because Alice yes killed herself. Yeah, Rufus was going to shoot himself because Alice hung herself in the barn. Because and this is where we get full insight into Rufus's depravity. Yeah. He lies to Alice and says he sent their children sold them south into slavery. Alice ran away because she was like, I'm tired of getting raped. Mm -hmm. I don't love this man. I can't do it anymore. Can't do it anymore. She runs and gets caught. He brings her back, you know, whips her, whatever, and And then sells their children, Rufus and Alice's children they've had together. The two of them, yeah. And... And then she hangs herself. And because then, she thinks they've been sold yeah. south into slavery, but in reality, he just sent them to his aunt in Baltimore, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, she lied to her to, to punish her. To punish her. And then, understandably, based on knowing that, Alice's, Alice makes the decision to end her life. So in that moment where he sees Alice dead, he considers committing suicide himself. And that's when Dana's brought back to that timeline, which is only like three months after when she was there before. And can you imagine like this man who's executed such horror upon you and you're forced into this scenario to talk him out of killing himself to ensure 
the future, basically. So her goal at that point was to get him to write Joe and Hagar, his children, letters her ancestors, letters of certificates of freedom to free his own children, which is like, dude, that's your kids. Mm -hmm. The fuck is wrong with you? Doesn't she try to get him to write a will as well? And yeah, he refuses? To, to, to free all the slaves on his death. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. Because you'll just kill me. Because you'll just kill me after I do it. Which honestly, so, yeah. like, maybe she would have done. She hadn't thought about it. It even brings out in the book that she hadn't thought about doing that until he mentioned it. Yeah, and, and then she's like, like well, maybe I should have thought of that. Maybe I should have, yeah. So now that Alice has killed herself, and I guess Alice, being her ancestor, has shown a remarkable resemblance to Dana. Mm -hmm. Rufus's eyes kind of started to turn a little bit on Dana now that Alice is gone. And yeah. that's kind of where... Sickening. Oh, so disgusting. Um, that's kind of where the, the book ends. Rufus, you know, of course, blames her um, for his oh, shitty behaviour and tries to rape her. And she has a knife in a bag and she so fucking stabs his ass. So it's like this prolonged scene of tension where they're talking in the house somewhere. And she leaves and goes up to the attic to where her sleeping... She's going to slit her wrists again so she can yeah. get the fuck away. Her sleeping pallet is there with her bag and everything. So she goes up there and she has the knife in her hand. And then Rufus comes into the attic, which he's never done before. He follows her up there. And and he's he looks around to make sure they're alone. And at that point, she knows like something bad's going to happen. Yep. And he sits down beside her on the pallet. He says, I'm sorry. And he holds her hand gently. But Dana knows as soon as she starts to pull away, it's not going to be gentle anymore. Right. So that that physical description is the entire encapsulation of what a relationship with Rufus is like. I'll be gentle as long as you do what I want. Yep. And she starts to pull away. And surely, you know, sure enough. He starts to crush her hand in his and pull her to him. And so she takes the knife and sinks it multiple times, I believe, into his she side. She stabs him in the... I, I relished this, trust oh, yeah. me. So she stabs him in the side first and then he, like, screams this, like, agonizing animal mm. cry. And then he's, like, wrestling with her a little bit and she pulls the knife out and she stabs him again in the back. And then he's like, he just fucking dies. And I, at that moment, I was like, thank you. And she's about fucking time. I mean, that's truly the only way I, he could have died. Oh, right? I love that ending. So anyways, Nigel comes up the stairs and he's like, Dana, what the fuck? And he just, I mean, I'm, I'm interjecting. There's no fuck words in the book. <laughs> he says, Dana, what? Oh, no. God, no. Yeah. And then Nigel moaned Rufus and he shudders and his body went limp and leaden across her gross. Ugh. Um, and then something clamped down on her arm. He's holding her arm. But it's Rufus stronger still has than Rufus's arm. hand clamps down on her. And melting into it, meshing with it as though somehow my arm was being absorbed into something cold and non-living. And so basically she's transported into her living room, I believe, again. Yeah, um, and her fucking arm is stuck into the wall. And it's in the wall. 
and she pulled her arm towards her and suddenly there was an avalanche of pain red impossible agony and i screamed and screamed and that's how it ends before the epilogue that's how she loses her fucking arm because rufus was holding onto her arm she couldn't bring Rufus back with her. Because he was dead. Because he was dead. And it was fucking Rufus. Fuck that guy. And so anyways, I guess whatever magic's working at whatever, it ended up like her arm was in the fucking wall. So she had to like tear her arm out of the wall, essentially. That's how she lost her arm. And that's how the beginning of the book started, where it was like she had to explain to the police how she lost her arm. And, of course, they thought it was Kevin, her husband, that had done it. But right. even then, they couldn't explain how he would have done it. So right. it's wild, it's brutal, and it's this very climatic way to end the, the story before the epilogue. But I was wondering what you thought the symbolism of her losing her arm was, if you had thought about that. Like, why an arm versus something else? Do you think it's just symbolic of what she had to give up? Like, you know, people say I'd give my left right arm for something or left arm for something. I don't know. I figured there had to be more of a reason why octavia butler chose that way to to sort of symbolize what her character gave up like she gave up a lot mentally and this is a symbol of maybe her physical sacrifice i don't know um whatever symbolism may have been intended i didn't pick up on it I don't know. But it worked for a killer fucking opener and an excellent ending. So, you know, it came full circle and it was, it was fire all the way around. So, you know, yeah. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about her opinions on coming home to the Whalen house and her yeah, well, idea of what home was. It was strange because, as we talked about in the beginning, maybe it was the part one episode, they just moved into the house when all of this started happening. And so they hadn't really established their feeling or their emotion. No. <laughs> their emotional, emotional connection to that location. But during that time frame, she had spent more time on that plantation looking at out that I think it was a like Georgian style brick house. Yeah. Um, so when she returned to it, she had this feeling of home. And I think that's interesting too. Now that you bring that up, how I mean, it makes sense. I I I mean, I just think of the symbolism of like a Georgian brick house. You know, you think of like colonialism and like well, when people think of slaves and the antebellum era they think of you know the big white house with like big columns from gone with the wind from gone with the wind yeah that's what they think of and those are the kind of images that's invoked with slavery whereas when you think of like a brick georgian Colombian type house you think like a revolutionary war and george washington and all these amazing like, like super american ideals and yay go america yeah. and she really like takes that idea and just like shatters that too she's yeah. like no you know what fuck this 
Georgian homes were slave homes too. Let's put the correct imagery where it belongs. And like these houses are nothing to be um, invoking any type of nostalgia about. Because I, these were horrific times too. You yeah, know? Like, I, did, I, I thought don't that know was if great. I made that connection, but I was definitely thinking of um, sort of the, the toxic irony that is, you know, me growing up partially in Tallahassee, Florida, and seeing these giant homes and thinking, oh, wow, they're so beautiful. Yeah. One day I want to own a house like that and not understanding, like, the sort of historic underbelly yeah. of that symbolic location and that house and what that means to people that have ancestors that were enslaved to the point where people were getting married and plantations yeah. you know celebrating that and i do agree that they are historically important to visit and see with that context right. i do not agree that it should be romanticized or be used as a place a place of like celebrating beauty per yeah. se because that feels very dangerous and harmfully naive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I really did think that was interesting because it was like everything was like this, like, she, you know, Octavia Butler was like playing Tetris, which is like yeah. putting all these pieces together and it was like perfectly fitted yeah. with this overarching structure and shape that just like punches you in the gut and never stops. It's almost like she sat down and she was like, what are my pet peeves about 1976 and these stupid Americanish ideals? What are all of them? And how can I just destroy all of them and put them back I mean, in how their can proper I hold up, context? How can I hold up a mirror, you know? I, yeah. <laughs> how can I hold up a mirror to what this was really like and break down all these walls simultaneously by being a woman sci-fi writer, being a black woman sci-fi writer. Yeah. And she did identify herself as a feminist. Yeah. Like as one of her overarching sort of like guiding compasses in terms of morality and beliefs and ideals. She, and I, I see that in like her choosing to make this a female yeah. protagonist stripping away even more power in this scenario and creating a woman that had impossible choices and still managed to navigate through this in a way that few people otherwise could have done yeah and ensured her family's future and i think you know it could be metaphoric for all the sacrifices that black women and maybe women in general make to yeah. ensure their family their you know future and progress and success i i don't know i mean as a mother do you kind of feel that way or yeah uh sort of that's a kind of a deep question for for 15 ounces of wine in that's why but... i asked it <laughs> <laughs> i don't know some some of these issues feel inappropriate for us to fully discuss but i do think um our failing would be not to read this 
Oh, definitely. I like, think everyone should read this. This is an amazing book. It was written by an amazing woman. There's so many challenging themes. There's so many subverted tropes, like explored, and it makes nuanced. you think nuanced. There's so many questions raised about the nature of humanity, about power, power about men, women, history, her story, her story, you know, like what's real, what's not, um, you know, like what's humane, what's not, and, um, you know, relationships, psychology, just like everything, anything you can imagine is, it, you know, Octavia Butler has somehow brought it all into this book. It's worth a read. 100%, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with, you know, the directions that she went with it, whether it, you know, invokes emotions within you in a way that you wish it didn't, whether it triggers something within you from your personal life, whatever, it's worth a, a listen. Um, there's some challenging themes and some challenging content in here. But I think yeah, so at the end of the day, Octavia Butler has taken a sci-fi mindset and turned it into a historical novel. It's every bit as relevant today as it was in 1970. 100%. Strictly for the feminist aspect of it alone. Just by that, if you were going to just strip away everything else and just be like, women struggles, um, there's so much to take away from this. Um, I wasn't expecting to identify so much with Dana with Dana and just the relationship in general and I found myself just understanding a lot and uh, not understanding a lot too I'm not trying to say that I understand everything in this book because I certainly don't but there's a lot that I do and I and with that in mind I think everyone can meet Dana on some level in this book and that just makes it all the more powerful yeah I that I just totally makes Octavia agree. Butler just all the more great of an author I mean I think if you put anyone you know in the driver's seat of reading this or listening to it unless you're extremely depraved <laughs> you're gonna be scared with her unless you're, you're Rufus <laughs> you're, you're gonna be scared with her you're gonna care for her and you're gonna want her to succeed yeah and survive and you're gonna thrive. want her to kill the shit out of Rufus yeah and she kills the shit out of them so the epilogue do you want to talk about that sure I mean it's essentially what happens is she's back in 1970 at some point they realize Kevin and Dana realize like this time traveling episode stuff is over yeah and because she killed rufus so there's nothing bringing her back to the nothing past to draw her back and uh they choose to travel to maryland together yeah to s try to find some um indication or marker of the plantation and also of rufus's grave and they see that the plantation is basically like the building is no longer standing. It's, it's a just a field, field now, yeah. And they don't find Rufus's grave, right? There's no. They don't say that they did, but they do find in the county records that his house burned down. So Rufus was killed 
in a fire. So Which she Nigel orchestrated. She immediately assumes that Nigel orchestrated that after because Nigel found her killing Rufus and assumes that Nigel took matters into his own hands and burned the house down and made it look like Rufus burned it down. Um, and most of the rest of the slaves were resold. All of slavery, them, except, except Joe and Hagar and Kara and Nigel, mm-hmm. I think, they were sold. Away. Every single one of them was sold, which is really heartbreaking. It's really sad. And then there's this full circle moment where, so they go to all these like historical societies. Because remember, this is 1970, so there's no internet. There's right, no way yeah. Of, finding this information without going to somewhere and searching through reference books. Yeah. So they're standing outside of the brick building of the historical society, itself a converted early mansion, which makes you think maybe this historic society Hmm. was once part of a plantation and part of the systemic... Probably. You know, whatever. So then she says, if we told anyone else about this, anyone at all, they wouldn't think we were so sane. And then Kevin replies, we are, he said, and now that the boy is dead, we have some chance of staying that way. And that's how it ends. Which, honestly, I kind of hate that Kevin has the last word in this mm. book. It For me, it feels more appropriate for Dana to have it because it's her story. Yeah. And she's talking about having lost her arm and the lengths that she goes to to preserve her family. So I kind of hate, that's my only critique for Butler's. <laughs> Don't give the white man the last word. Uh, like, no, give it to Dana. We want Dana to have that word or thought or some action or something. So I didn't like, didn't quite like that. Yeah, I didn't really get that reading the audiobook or listening to the audiobook. That didn't register in my head. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. That's kind of cringy. I did like that he's thinking about it from the standpoint of the collective we. So yeah. he, despite this interlude, which is crazy in any sense, he didn't change his mind about loving her. Right. She's she's uh, six years. He was stuck in the past. Yeah, and he, uh, you know, was injured and had some dangerous interludes himself. Yeah, and she's now lost an arm, so she's. Um, you know, going to require additional care to some extent. And I do like that he doesn't waver in his love for her. You know he what, though? Problems. Like, there are some times where she thinks about him in light of Rufus. You want to talk about that, didn't you? Where he was, like, intimating that there was some romantic relationship. Yeah, so it was so cringy. So... He's like, oh, you know, like whatever, whatever. Somehow it devolves into this conversation where he's sort of like accusing her or like fishing for to find out if she's been raped. Find out if she'd been raped or if she had willingly, willingly, quote unquote. There's no such fucking thing as willingly. Also, you related to him. Ew. I know, right? But he's trying to find out if Rufus raped her. And trying to find out if she'll tell him that. Or if she, like, gave it up to him. Or some nonsense ickiness like that. And it was so cringy. Because she was like, no, like, absolutely not. Um, But at some point, there was some mention of, um, like, 
Ke- like that maybe Kevin could forgive her if she was raped by Rufus and just the wording of that made me almost want to vomit like yeah I was trying to find the section forgive her for being raped like no that mentality what is wrong like what 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 I just ew no there's nothing to forgive for being raped like uh it was just horrible that Which, like, that was a thought in her mind at all. catch. Thank you. You almost dropped the book on the floor. <laughs> I um, no, I think, I mean, that was an honest reflection of how oftentimes rape victims were seen, is like res- being responsible for that outcome. Yeah. Because they dressed a certain way, because they behaved a certain way, because they were in a certain place that they shouldn't have been. Well, I think too that that's a reflection on the time that Octavia Butler may have been writing it. Yeah, in that's what 70s. I mean. In the nineteen seventies, that's yeah. that's when people, and to some extent, still do. Yes. Um, yeah, it's being challenged a bit more now, but yeah, um, it's definitely still there. But there's another point that falls in line with that a little bit and that's where Dana makes some comment because Alice mentions that she's going to run away this is before Alice kills herself obviously but she tells Dana I'm going to fucking run away I'm getting away from this shit sick of Rufus blah 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 and Dana has this thought in her head that she had hoped that Alice might have like turned a little bit Mm -hmm. and like maybe she would have even started to enjoy herself with Rufus that wording really upset me. Um, like, there's no scenario in my mind where anyone forcibly being used for sex, whether they like it or not, decide to like ever it, enjoy it, it or like it or like be okay with it or come to love person doing it to them if they do it's like a stockholm it's syndrome it's such a type. psychological mind fuckery going on and um it's that honestly, mindset that we saw in the nightingale where vianne was afraid her husband coming back from the prison of war camp what was his name i can't remember antoine antoine good memory <laughs> um <laughs> would view her as soiled yeah she had been raped and that didn't come to pass because she never told him really. Right, she never told happened. him because he was. She was afraid that maybe he would even think that she wanted it, or right. like she would like over time a, he, overcome. He yeah. would. He would start to blame her for that, or wonder if she wanted it or, or yeah. enjoyed it or something. Yeah, and it, it's the same mentality of like blaming the victim. I don't know, like, it doesn't take away from the book for me, really, because Dana's a human being, and human beings no, I mean, have I think that's flawed real. ideas like that. Yeah, yeah, that's real. That's truly what a person would think, whether I mean, it's fair, yeah. or whether it's right, whether right, it's wrong. Yeah. I think that's realistic, and that, for me... Very realistic, and only, it makes the character human and It real. only lends to how how amazing Octavia Butler was in crafting this story because there was never a beat in this story where I thought that doesn't sound right to me or I disagree with that it felt authentic yeah and it's kind of funny to say that because it's this wild idea of someone being transported through time which yeah you know 
Like Outlander or something. Well, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> like we were talking beforehand as we were pouring our wine and getting situated. Um, I do think, you know, that she must have influenced Diana Gabaldon, I think is how you say her name. I don't know. Um, the writer of Outlander because a similar thing happens um, in that it's a female protagonist being transported right. through time. Undoubtedly influenced by this book. Oh, she had to have done. I mean, Undoubtedly. Yeah, because Octavia Butler like was the first to craft anything close to this. And she's amazing. And I cannot say enough praise about her. I definitely want to read all her other works because I've never read her other novel, which mm -hmm. I think is called like Parable of Talents. It's like Parable of Talents and there's Parable of something else. And the Parable of Talents is the one that won the Nebula Award. And incidentally, Kit and I were talking about this before we started recording. It's one that predicts things to come in America, which is, if this sounds familiar, a right-wing presidential candidate runs you know, runs for presidency, the presidential candidate, in 2032 with the campaign theme, help us to make America great again. <laughs> Does that sound familiar to anyone? In 2032? 2032, she, was she wrote that. A couple of decades, maybe. Yeah, I guess we're ahead of schedule. <laughs> <laughs> we're ahead of schedule. We're ahead of schedule. A little bit there. So... Interesting. I definitely am going to give that one a read. I'm also going to watch the TV show Kindred. Um, it's going to be uh, probably a very emotional watch for me, but I, I still want to see how they adapted it, especially since it's so recent. And do whatever small part I can do to support stories like that, because I want to hear more from authors like Octavia Butler. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch it. We'll I see. want to watch it. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll watch an episode tonight and I'll I'll text you about it <laughs> and let you know. So shall we rate? give our cork ratings? Yeah, I think so. I think we've exhausted this one. You want to start with the wine? Yeah, let's start with the wine. Um, so uh, I thought it was very smooth when I drank it. I didn't agree with a bit. <laughs> Um, the taste was very pleasant. It was a little tannic, I mm -hmm. guess, but pleasant. They had a nice sweetish aftertaste mm -hmm. that was that was prominent. I really liked the taste. It was good. Um, the buzz, I think, is good. I did shovel down two slices of pizza <laughs> <laughs> right before I started drinking, so I think that probably affected the buzz oh, a little shit. bit. How much does it cost? Let's see. Um, yeah, what was the cost? I would drink it again, just moving on to that cork. And the cost... Uh, let's see... Do, 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 do $18. Ooh. Four, okay, four, so... Four bottles of wine. Four bottles of wine. So four divided by... 18 divided by four is what? 16 divided by four is four. four so. so like 450 a bottle. Less than that. It's five. That's, that's on that's, bar with the... That's pretty... Swingy yeah, owl. so cost definitely. Yeah, so this is a five corker. Five corker. Yeah. That's rare. Yeah, I was going to look and see if you... Definitely. 
we got some five evening shade rosé was a five for you and the prosecco was 4.5 wow okay yeah so this is the hot toddy from last episode was (laughs) (laughs) 0.5 so disgusting yeah Yeah, i guess for me it's similar i can't it's hard to find fault with it it really is yeah i guess what i'm curious about is like how well it will keep because there's still so much left um, but I really can't complain about anything. It's just like this sort of judgy moment of like you're drinking wine out of a box. So rather I don't than, even mind that at all. But we're we're trying to be proponents of reverse snobbery, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So um it was delectable. So five corker for me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first for me. I don't think I've done anything. <laughs> said anywhere five yeah i mean i like i think what i'm learning (coughs) as we explore more is like before i would always gravitate towards a specific type of wine like say cabernet sauvignon uh malbec um prosecco merlot whatever pinot noir yeah but these red blends which is what this is have really been enjoyable and super drinkable of late so yeah i don't know if that makes me basic or whatever i don't care but i've enjoyed them so okay next up the story the story you want to go first you want me to go first i think this is going to be a first for me oh boy i think this is going to be my first five corker go for it i think readable we talked about that it right. was easy to read yeah. she has this very delicate sparse prose it's easy to get through you're engaged from jump so that that flows into the tension and the interest keeping the tension was so high throughout there was no letting go i mean yeah. you were with dana throughout the entire journey you were scared you were going to be pulled back you were scared you're going to be killed you were scared you were going to be raped there was no letting go or reprieve from that terror of yeah. what her reality was over the course of the story. Um, plot goes in the same um, character development. It was exquisitely done. I think all of the characters were very nuanced. We hated them, specifically Rufus, <sighs> but we did have hope for probably longer than we should have done Definitely. that he was going to turn out to be someone that would help Dana. And then he showed his true colors and he was pure evil. Um, Kevin, as I mentioned, had some nuances to him too of like wanting to support Dana and be a good husband, but problematic viewpoints because of of his privilege. And Dana, of course, we talked about her nuances too of like um, how she starts off very um, full of desire to shape this man in a better way. And then she's just put through the you know put through everything and she has this weird tie to this home that is the source of her enslavement literal and figurative and she's forced to support a man who is the agent of all the violence upon her fellow people um and then as we've said significance to literary culture i mean just amazing so Bottom line for me, five corker, amazing. I loved it. I think it was just an excellent, excellent book. 
Wow. You're missing out if you didn't read it. That's that's incredible. I know. First for me. First five cool girls. Even though I'm quite on the Western Front, I'm at 4.5. Gee. And while we're comparing, Twilight got 2.5. <laughs> feels very appropriate. Is that your lowest rated one? Um, The Guild of Stories was 2.5 as well. So 2.5 is your lowest one. Yeah. Okay, all right, okay. You gave My Daughter the Racist a 2. Ooh. The movie, or Quiet on the Western Front. <laughs> you hated that. You hated it so much. It was good. It's just like then the comparison of the book, it was awful. Yeah, it, it definitely It was good by itself. If you don't read the book, it's fine. But if you read the book and then it wasn't you know, true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So All what right. about you? So readability, definitely a one. Super easy. I I mean I did the audio book and it was really easy to listen to. There wasn't anything confusing. Tension and interest keeping definitely was there. One hundred percent I agree with Bridge. The entire time, like every single time she went back, I was, you know, just wondering, like, how is she going to lose her arm? Like, how is this going to be the time that she does it, you know? And so, like, that that high tension and anxiety was always there. Plot cohesiveness and arc, I thought, was brilliant. You know, um, I think from where it started with the whole romanticization of the antebellum period into the painting the reality of the horror and just the shitness of the entire experience <laughs> I love that word shitness <laughs> it was brilliant the way she did it you know it just kind of like let you in slowly and like oh yeah you think you know about this well come with me and then it was just like bam we're just gonna upturn everything this is how it really was get with the times and it was brilliant so yeah plot question is not definitely definitely there Character development and arc, yes, for Dana and for Rufus, I 100% agree. When I was listening to Bridge talk about it, talking about how she was hoping that she could shape Rufus, it just kind of like brought back even more shit from my personal experience about how I was like, oh, you know. You can fix him. I can fix him. If I just love him more, then he'll just turn out to be somebody that I want him to be. And like all this bullshit Bullshit. that never fucking happens. And Dana comes to that conclusion. And then she's like fucking had enough. It was a brilliant character arc. Just from like, I hope this little boy will be a decent human being to fuck this man. He's a piece of shit. He's dying right now. It was brilliant. Um, significant split in culture, obviously that's a one. There's there's nothing quite like this at all. So yeah, it's a five for me too. There you go. One hundred percent, it's a five. Um, I highly recommend this. I think out of all the books we've read so far, I would recommend this one the highest. There are some books that you read that just leave an impression on you, and they just hit you really hard. And this is one of those books. So if you have not read this book, if you haven't listened to this book, do it. It's only eight hours of your life. You will never be sorry about getting them back. Unlike, you know, some other shit you do, like watch Game of Thrones or some other bullshit like Listen, that. <laughs> I like Game of Thrones. <laughs> Where Game you're just like, is... what the fuck did I just watch? I will never get that two hours of my life back. Oh my god, I just had that experience with a movie. It's called Babylon. It's got Brad Pitt in it. It's three hours and nine minutes long. And I went to the movie theater with my mom and stepdad. 
I didn't know what I was watching. We went in. It was terrible. And we lasted <laughs> about two hours and 45 minutes before we walked out. I've never walked you out. You walked out. I've never walked out of a movie. It was before. that bad. It was terrible. And the weird thing is it was getting really good reviews. But anyway, that's not the focus. <laughs> My point is there's a place for Game of Thrones because I love Game of Thrones. There's a place for Outlander. And there's always, there should always be a place for Octavia Butler, bar none. If you bar have none. your choice between those three, one, start with Octavia Butler. Definitely. Always. Then maybe Outlander. <laughs> and then maybe maybe. Game, maybe Game of Thrones after that. Game of Thrones can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is, has, a, you know, has their own opinion. I think... There's value in Game of Thrones, but there's also <laughs> some problematic things in Game of Thrones. We can contain multiple. I just feel terrible for everyone that named their child Khaleesi. <laughs> that was just dumb. <laughs> I actually know of somebody who named their child oh Khaleesi. Uh, so, with all that being said, next up, after this... I think we're planning a short story, um, and I hadn't told um, Kit about this short story because we hadn't chosen it yet. So, oh, so um, it'll be a surprise for me too. I think it's called Empty Places, and as we've said before, we're pulling the majority of our short stories from LeVar Burton Reads podcast. Yeah, so this is going to be a, pod, uh, a short story from mm -hmm. this podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. For this podcast um, episode discussing Kindred, we loved it. Loved it. We hope you have enjoyed listening to our podcast, discussing it. Please leave us any comments about any thoughts you had about our podcast, about Kindred, about Octavia Butler. We want to hear from you. Um, we want to hear your experience with this amazing story and this amazing author. Please share with us. Until we next time. We kept ourselves to 15 ounces of wine, even though we <laughs> wanted to drink more. I definitely need a little bit more. <laughs> I feel like I need a cigarette after that. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think it was it, just anyway, all the, all the love and support to um, Octavia Butler because this story was amazing. Yeah. Thank you. And... Buzz off, mate. Buzz off. Join us next time. We will be talking about Empty Places, which is a short story by Richard Parks that LeVar Burton covered in two separate episodes, part one and part two, on his podcast back in June 27th, 2017 and July 4th, 2017. But if you go into Spotify or wherever, if you just type in Empty Places, LeVar Burton, it'll pop right up. Awesome. And we're going to be drinking a 2020 Rheinhessen. It's a Riesling, Riesling Qualitatsven. <laughs> It's a kitty cat bottle. It's a kitty cat bottle. It's in a pink kitty cat bottle. I got this at Well Markets a couple of months ago. I'm uh, not sure how much I paid for it, but it's, it, it is literally a kitty cat bottle. So just pick that one. If it's, if it's a cat bottle, pick a cat bottle. That one. Yeah. <laughs>
All right. <laughs> it's going to be quality, I know. Definitely. Uh, we're, yeah, we're going to be in February, which was sort of like rom-com, romance-focused month. So shifting gears quite a bit to try to have maybe a, a bit more light-hearted topics this month. Yeah, maybe. Just to, you know, <laughs> maybe. Have, <laughs> have some, uh, you know, variety and so each book can be a very unique experience. So that's that's our intention for February. So thanks for listening and tune in next week. Buzz off, mates. Buzz off. Follow us on Twitter at BuzzedBritCast. And you can follow us on Instagram at BuzzedBritBookClub. And email at BuzzedBritBookClub at gmail.com.